I'm your host, Kaylee, and this is Rebel Wellness. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Kaylee, also known as Coach Kales. So if you don't already know me, I am a longtime fitness professional, about a decade so far in this industry, as well as a wellness coach and multi-certified nutritionist. And I'm based out here on the West Coast in the beautiful Monterey Bay Peninsula. But a lot of people also know me from the Pacific Northwest. I lived in Portland. That's where I started Coach by Kales. I was up there for roughly seven to eight years. So a huge part of what I stand for and my business is up there. So a big shout out to everybody who's listening all the way up in the Pacific Northwest. I love you guys very much. Just had to say that because we are on episode 11 and this podcast has been really fun. So had to give a little shout out to everybody up there, especially because most of these topics that I'm talking about are curated from responses from all of my past clients, current clients, and friends up in the Pacific Northwest. So I got big love for you and I am doing this entire month's topics just for you. So today's myth is going to be all about the oh-so-sexy concept of intermittent fasting. I would be pretty surprised if you hadn't heard of this term, at least in the diet world. It's really caught a lot of attention, I would say like 2015 until now. So I'm going to cover the basics of what it entails, how the feminine system often manages it, and who can benefit, as well as who might actually be more damaged or it just won't work for, and why. And it'll be really important to stay tuned all the way to the end because I'm going to chat about some lesser spoken negative correlations that I've seen with intermittent fasting in my coaching practice over the years and how it affected me personally. First off, what exactly is intermittent fasting? So first, let's begin with the fact that intermittent fasting is not a diet. It's an eating pattern or eating parameters. You can follow any diet while following intermittent fasting, but intermittent fasting is not a diet itself. However, it can operate in a way that many people use diets to lose weight, lose fat, etc. but it's not specifically a diet. So fasting is just basically a fancy word for not eating, and intermittent means sometimes or occasionally. So the idea behind intermittent fasting is that by restricting food during different windows of eating times and non-eating times, our bodies will more quickly and efficiently tap out our fat stores for energy, as well as a plethora of other potential benefits that it can do, allowing the body to have a period where it's not digesting food constantly. So that's the challenge that our metabolisms are faced with more nowadays, that we have more access to food more readily constantly. And we have a little bit of altered wake sleep cycles. We tend to stay up really late. And sometimes that can cause us to be hungrier and snack later Therefore, we might be eating from like 8 a.m. all the way to like midnight and not give our bodies very much time in a non-fed state where it can do all the different systems that it also needs to do while it tends to be digesting. Why it's thought that intermittent fasting tends to directly burn fat for energy faster is because your body will utilize fat for energy when glucose isn't available. 
Glucose comes from carbohydrates and can be derived from any fuel source. Basically, what is happening every time you're eating and when you're not eating and your body is done processing all the food you ate and deriving the glucose from that, then it is thought that intermittent fasting will go towards your fat for energy instead. The biggest benefit that a lot of people like is cellular autophagy, which is essentially your body is getting rid of imperfect cells and able to identify imperfect cells that can become cancer or disease when accumulated in the body and not detoxed out properly. So there's evidence that when you are in a fasting state, your body gets the chance to clear out more of those risks that could be occurring internally passively while we are just eating things. (laughs) And so it's thought that when you are consuming food so frequently, your body is focusing the most on constantly kind of digesting and processing and labeling all the food you're eating and putting it places that your body doesn't actually get enough attention on all the other systems that are going on. That has been science-backed and that also has been kind of questioned, but generally we find that to be true. So the mini history, because you guys, if you've been listening for a little while now, you know I like to talk about the history. Um, Humans basically have been fasting for various reasons throughout the dawn of time. Most often it's paired with religious practices, but it's also due to circumstances where like they lived somewhere with droughts or different aggressive seasons that food was not always available. So it's kind of a physiological adaptation to being able to stay alive and survive given any circumstance of if food was available or not. Ramadan was one of the first major religious-based kind of fasting studies because there was this phenomenon that people started to observe where when Muslims who practice Ramadan fast from dawn to sunset, and then they have a huge feast every night, like big, big meals, Tons, like no holding back as much as they want, drinking, eating, whatever. And they didn't experience any like negative weight gain effects or negative health effects in general. And that was kind of perplexing for these scientists because they're like, how is that possible? They were probably overeating calories in the evening because they didn't eat all day. So this kind of triggered interest into what was physically occurring, at least to the metabolic extent. The other side of history, Jews practice fasts on Yom Kippur, Gandhi used it during protests. There's a lot of different historical backgrounds related to fasting at various degrees. But finally, in the 1900s, scientists began studying it more closely with lab rodents, and they were able to draw more specific understanding and conclusions about fasting and how it directly affects the metabolisms and the longevity of health on these rodents. And it was interesting because they found that periodic eating, aka like intermittent fasting, these rats were able to live longer and they had better health markers in regards to brain health and their body's ability to prevent cancer from earlier ages. And then they began the human studies because it was not ethically wrong. It was already something that humans have been practicing for a long time. So there's like a ton of types of intermittent fasting, and they have kind of just finally gotten names for them. I would say from my experience, when I first became the most aware of intermittent fasting, they really only had like the 16-8 protocol where it's you fast for 16 hours and you eat for eight. I think they 
call that one the lean gains protocol now. That's like the standard one I see most people trying to follow, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of the different types and the names of them, just so you can have a little bit of extra knowledge. So classic intermittent fasting is occasionally you don't eat anything. You can do alternate day fast. So you do, let's say the 16-8 protocol, you fast for 16 hours, you eat for eight, and then the next day you eat regularly and you repeat that pattern every alternating day. Some of the other intermittent fasting protocols might just say follow the 16-8 every day and others could say do this pattern just one or two days a week or a few days a month. So that would be classic intermittent fasting. Some people might say it's strictly just doing intermittent fasting every single day. However, you can just use that pattern various days of the month and that also still is considered intermittent fasting. Another version is called intermittent energy restriction. So you're eating a lot less in your total, let's say, week of caloric consumption, but you're not eating nothing on days. So you're not doing full day fasts. This could be also called partial fasting. This is also the fasting style of the 5-2 plan, which a lot of people might have heard of. You eat normally five days a week, then you restrict your calories really, really low two days a week. So sometimes that looks like you're going to eat 1,700 calories for five days of the week. And then two days a week, you eat like 500 calories. So then your overall deficit for the entire week ends up being significantly lower because you spent two days of the week in extreme restriction. Another version would be simply a full day fast where people just don't consume any food for an entire day. They just drink water or things that don't have any calories. Usually it's things that don't exceed calories that stimulate your metabolism and your uh, digestive enzymes from going because you're not consuming. So you're eating less than usually like 25 calories, I believe is usually kind of the ceiling before your body starts to be like, oh, we're getting food. So I'm sure there's a bunch of other specific names similar to like the 5-2 plan, the warrior diet, uh, lean gains protocol, etc. Those usually fall into all those categories that I was just talking about, the different names of it, because pretty much everything is going to fall into either standard intermittent fasting, alternate day fasting, time-restricted feeding, intermittent energy restriction, etc. So to not confuse you, I'm just going to talk about those ones. And if you're already confused, I know I'm kind of confused too, <laughs> but it's really important to kind of understand that people have kind of just taken the basic concepts of intermittent fasting and turned it into all these different diets for all their own specific reasons. And on that vein, I would say that it's really important to understand that overall, each of these versions are going to work for different people for different reasons. Like I have always found that males respond a lot better to intermittent fasting more quickly and more longevity focused because their bodies don't work on cyclical hormones the way ours do. Our body is constantly cycling through different phases every month if you are naturally cycling and therefore it makes things very complicated for us to match a specific diet. So therefore there's different groups and different situations that can work for different people. So this is where we're getting into who is it potentially best for. The 
first group that is always going to potentially benefit the best from this as far as feminine health goes is going to be the postmenopausal group. It can be one of the better ways for them to manage their baseline weight while they're post all of the different hormone shifts that come with menopause. Another group that does well with this are those who don't give out much energy daily. So those who have low energy days, less than 5,000 steps a day, you work at a desk all day, you're inside, you don't walk very much, you don't go and do any sports, many activities, etc. You probably aren't expending very much energy day to day because you're relatively sedentary. So therefore, you might do well managing your caloric intake by being in more of this time-restricted eating. If you are somebody who is not dealing with excess body fat, you probably should stick to eating normally for this. I'll get into that in a moment. But if you are somebody who has excess body fat and a little bit of blood sugar dysregulation or a lot of blood sugar dysregulation, first I would look into, are you eating enough? (laughs) But along with that, you might benefit from the physiological effects of intermittent fasting on the body. Because it's not a diet necessarily, you need to be eating your daily required calories within those windows. So if you are an adult female, most likely you need to be consuming like 1,650 calories all the way up to like 2,300 calories a day. You have to fit all of those calories into whatever eating pattern you are. That's what makes this different. We are not trying to just overly reduce your calories unless you're following one of those like 5-2 plans where it's played out. But even in that one, you still have to eat normally. So eating normally equals knowing what calories you need to consume for your total daily energy expenditure. So that is always going to be the main thing to focus on when you do this because a lot of times people just try to eat within windows and reduce the food they're eating and then they end up massively under eating and then they kind of get in this metabolic plateau and that's normal because that's how the body reacts when you're extremely underfed and then that also will compound with hormonal disruption. So should you perform intermittent fasting properly, research shows that it could help regulate your blood glucose control your blood lipids like cholesterol, reduce your risk of heart disease, cancer, etc. with the cellular autophagy, and manage your body weight because you're kind of keeping yourself in a not surplus caloric consumption week to week. But again, it won't work if you're under eating constantly. So got to pay attention to that part. So back to who it could potentially work for, another group is women with PCOS which more and more women are getting diagnosed with PCOS, but it's a little bit challenging because we do find that a lot of doctors now that it's something they can diagnose women with, when they're not really quite sure what is going on, they often blanket statement it and might just diagnose you with PCOS, even though you may not have all of the telltale testing markers that would put you in that category. It's honestly kind of a spectrum, and I think we're kind of working through it to kind of better understand what is actually PCOS, if they should actually even name a different category. PCOS is a 
It's a kind of a complicated thing, but if you have been diagnosed with it, or if you think you might have it, it would be really important for you to go into a functional medicine doctor, feminine health doctor, naturopathic doctor, et cetera, and get the more in-depth testing that can help you determine more than just, do you have cysts on your ovaries and stuff like that? One of the main reasons that this can help PCOS patients is because it can help you manage your blood glucose levels, and it also can reduce your testosterone and DHEA, as they have found that in several studies in the recent years. As we know, PCOS has elevated androgens, and so if we want to try to get the body back in a more fertile zone or just a healthier zone for the female's body in general, you usually are trying to lower those androgenic hormones. So again, if you are somebody with PCOS or you know somebody with PCOS, you might want them to um, consult with their practitioner, of course, because of course I am not a doctor, so don't necessarily take my advice as gold. This is very general conversation right now, and I'm just presenting who it could be potentially best for. So if you land in any of these categories, I would definitely say, please consult your practitioner first. Don't just listen to me. And lastly, another group that I thought would be important to note is groups of women who are more in the very high body fat percentage zone, so above 45% body fat, and are looking to be fertile in the next year or several years for bearing children. This might be a eating protocol that can help get you in the right direction. So in the study conducted by the University of Illinois, they had found that when women were following the warrior diet style of fasting, which is basically having a feeding window of four hours per day where they could eat as many calories as they wanted without counting. And then they did a water fast the whole rest of the day until the next day. So basically it was a very restricted four hour window of fasting. And they found that because they had elevated DHEA levels beforehand, and it's not a ideal hormone to have in excess when trying to be fertile because it improves ovarian function and egg quality, it actually lowered by roughly on average 14% in all of these premenopausal women, which led to the belief that it is beneficial for helping egg quality with the goal of fertility and bearing children. So this could be a reason for somebody in that category with high body fat percentage who has higher DHEA, lower their DHEA through a nutritional intervention. But again, something to speak about with your fertility doctor, not necessarily something that is always going to work for everybody. Okay, so now the section of this chat that probably everybody really is curious about, and that is who is intermittent fasting potentially not the best for? Intermittent fasting may not be the best for premenopausal women who are not dealing with PCOS or high body fat percentage related metabolic disorders, especially if they're seeking fertility within the year or within the next few years, because it can have potentially negative hormone reactions in this particular group of people. It is also important to note that intermittent fasting is not necessarily faster or better than conventional calorie restriction if you are looking to just diet. So if you're looking to use intermittent fasting more for fat loss goals, this actually may not be the best route to take, especially if you are somebody who is relatively active and 
doesn't fit the category of sedentary, essentially. My experience with intermittent fasting was in 2016, and I was dating a guy at the time who was like all about it, because it was kind of when intermittent fasting like actually first hit the like fad diet fitness guru type people who have been in this zone for a long time. He was doing it, reaping the benefits that a male body would. And so I was like, you know, and I'm going to give it a shot. Why not? I have blood sugar dysregulation, aka I noticed if I didn't eat within the first hour or half hour I woke up, I would immediately be hangry and I would just like swing in and out of hangry bouts throughout the day if I missed meals or if I just was more active than normal. If my blood sugar was basically low, I was just cranky, so cranky. And so I was like, this could be the thing that helps fix that. And it definitely did. It, I would say I practiced it for roughly like six to eight weeks and it helped me massively balance out my blood sugar again. I still have not had blood sugar dysregulation issues like that, especially in the mornings at least, ever since then. So it kind of almost seemed like I just needed that one little bout of time and it helped that for me. However, what happened after I hit eight weeks or so was not expected. What essentially happened to me is what a lot of these different studies and stuff are finding where it's not beneficial for women and I will also say I was following the 16-8 protocol every day. I didn't do any alternate day, any skip days, etc. I literally hit this weird wall. I felt so exhausted, like my body was messed up. I, I actually got kind of cranky, hangry again. Just things were going wrong. And I started researching because I was just like, what the heck is going on? They, in 2016, had hardly any actual studies done on the feminine the feminine system with intermittent fasting. Every single study was all done on men as usual. And I was like, okay, so what do I do? And then I finally stumbled across this one doctor. I cannot remember her name, but she had actually done like observational studies and found that the body of a premenopausal woman, because we are so wired for these cyclical hormonal different swings, I guess you would say, we can't do well to eat in this restricted pattern every single day because throughout our cycle, we actually get shifts in our hunger and caloric needs based off of your follicular phase or your luteal phase. If you don't know exactly what I'm talking about, head over to the first few episodes, episodes one through three of Rebel Wellness, and um, I get all into all of the cycle syncing stuff where we talk about that because it's fascinating and it's really important to know, especially if you are a female who is cycling. But anyways, she was saying that it's really important to follow crescendo dieting, which I think they just call it now alternate day fasting, where you don't fast every single day. You fast for some days and then you take a break. So I tried shifting towards that for a bit and that worked okay. Problem I faced was that I simply could not consume the calories I needed because I weightlifted heavily. I actually was very plyometric trainee at the time, which if you don't know what plyometrics are, that's jumping. It's like jumping exercises. So I was doing a lot of like athletic style training during this time as well. So my caloric needs were around like 2,100 to 2,300 calories a day. And I could not fit that many calories of like healthier food options and high protein into an eight hour window. It just wasn't going to happen. I was constantly under eating, which meant that I kind of plateaued because my metabolism was like, yo, you are like exercising like crazy. I was overtraining and super under eating, which was just a recipe for disaster. So 
I don't think in the long run after that initial maybe six weeks or so where it helps with my blood sugar stuff, I don't actually think it benefited me at all. And it probably harmed me a lot more than benefited me. So I actually started to intuitively feel that and recognize it. And then I switched back to eating my usual patterns, breakfast, snack, lunch, dinner, you know. That is what works for me even to this day and works for most of my clients who are trying to be stronger, leaner, etc. because it helps fuel you and feed you much more regularly throughout your day that helps your metabolism a lot better than following daily window time-restricted eating. So this is why I don't actually usually put or encourage any of my clients to practice intermittent fasting unless they land in the category of eating far too late at night. If they're struggling with snacking in bed and things like that, we will typically put them into the practice of, which is kind of a standard overnight fasting situation where you stop eating around 7 to 8 p.m. and then you begin eating again around 8 a.m. or so, so forth. But if you already naturally eat like that, you're already kind of naturally fasting and that's very healthy and fine for the body. A strategy I would say as a little tip that sometimes I still use is I do fast on the weekends. Um, I fast until lunch. If I know that I'm going out to eat dinner or lunch or brunch with friends or family or for an event so that I can kind of backload all my calories into the latter half of the day. This works really well for me and this works really well for clients who are trying not to kind of overdo it on the weekend. Um, So it's a strategy that can kind of work for a lot of people. So I would say that that can work um, in that style, but I'm eating normally five to six days a week because I'm not always doing those things on weekends, but if I do, that works. Okay, so for the lesser spoken group that I would say is kind of, um, and this is kind of a little bit of a trigger warning, so just a little heads up if you land in this category, but this also could be really important for you to hear. A group that should really never consider intermittent fasting, and if you are intermittent fasting and you land in this category, or you used to, it's okay, there's no shame there, but I would highly recommend you consider moving away from that because it will not serve you. And it would be those who are still recovering or currently in an eating disorder or eating disordered patterns. This is because there's a lot of focus on controlling your food and controlling when you're eating. And for now and maybe forever, it might be a lot more important for you to focus more around nourishment and reducing your meal anxiety in general. I totally have seen many situations where this Intermittent fasting is used as a pretty easy excuse to restrict yourself and undereat, especially if you're around friends and family. But even when you're simply alone, I have definitely seen people with an ED past do this under the umbrella of intermittent fasting. Very similar situation for any restrictive diet in general, but intermittent fasting, since it's not specifically a diet, Um, people will say, oh, I'm fasting right now, when in reality, they really shouldn't be, and they might be under eating intentionally. And this can be definitely harmful. So I would very much say from my experience, please do not do intermittent fasting if you have had or do have an eating disorder. And more so, it gets a little bit deeper into the fact that your hormones are already struggling 
because of a chronic deficit or the challenges on your metabolism of a binge and restrict cycle. So the hormonal burden from intermittent fasting that already is guaranteed to happen, plus these different challenges faced by your eating style is really not ideal, especially for longevity and health. So even if you're somebody who thinks that they really would like to benefit from the autophagy or any of the other things that can come with it, such as blood sugar management, etc., just do not do intermittent fasting. And finally, the last group who should truly avoid intermittent fasting are those who are dealing with thyroid conditions, especially hypothyroid, but it also is not great for hyperthyroid and especially not autoimmune thyroid disorders either. So your thyroid is what controls your metabolism and many of the other hormonal functions that are related to it. And so altering that system deliberately with restriction is going to tax it more in a very negative way. This is something I understand a lot more seriously in the last several years. So if you think you might have something wrong with your thyroid, it's very important to go get that checked. You can get that checked with your general practitioner easily. However, it may not be the whole picture because often they just run TSH, which doesn't tell you very much at all because it's actually the pituitary gland trying to communicate to your thyroid. So it can kind of say if the number is high on your TSH, that means that your pituitary gland is spitting out thyroid stimulating hormone to your thyroid to try to stimulate it and it's not responding. So it tries to spit out more and spit out more. That's kind of where doctors in conventional medicine look at the thyroid. And if that TSH is kind of high, they just figure that, oh, the thyroid is slow. It's not responding. We're going to put you on levothyroxine, something like that. That's a pretty standard case that happens to almost all of my clients, even if they may not actually be in a position where they actually need that medication. And so um, I would say if your TSH comes back high with a PCP or just general practitioner in general with conventional medicine, I would find somebody in functional medicine to do further testing to kind of actually figure out exactly what you have because you might have something that's getting underdiagnosed. So that's very important for you to go get checked out for a lot of different reasons, but especially if you're considering or you have been following intermittent fasting and you're kind of experiencing not so great symptoms such as like brain fog, hair loss, significant shift in your moods, irregular sleep, etc. That is all kind of symptoms that A, intermittent fasting isn't doing it for you and B, maybe something might be off with your thyroid. It's not always the case, but again, you can't figure it out until you get the good testing done. Okay, so kind of wrapping this up, I didn't get to cover all the categories of females who should avoid intermittent fasting, but these are some of the major groups and reasons because it's really important to know the potential risks if you do choose to try intermittent fasting. Again, there can be tons of benefits, but there also could be a lot of things that are not going to add to your life or add to your health. And in the end, why choose a entire life-changing eating plan if you're not trying to benefit your life in the long run, right? At least that's my perspective. So for me, I still to this day don't follow intermittent fasting perfectly ever Really, I only, again, do it when I'm like going to have brunch or big fancy dinner out at night on the weekends just to manage my calories and my blood sugar. But day to day, not a chance. I am ready to eat when I wake up and <laughs> I am ready to eat at 7 p.m. It just works for me and my strength training. So if you are somebody in that category, 
I just would say walk away. Just don't worry about it, okay? All right, so if you would like to know more, I would love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out via our website, rebelwellness.me, or on Instagram at rebelwellnesspodcast. I am super grateful you took the time to listen to today's episode. And if you heard something today that really resonated with you, please get out there and share it. I would love for you to share it or throw a response or a review rather on whatever streaming site you use for your podcasts. As always, I hope it was helpful and I can't wait to see you guys next Sunday for another myth busting episode here on Rebel Wellness. Go kick some ass today. Or if it's nighttime, go kick some ass tomorrow. (laughs) See you next time. Thanks for joining me on this week's episode of Rebel Wellness. If you loved what you heard and you are ready to take your wellness journey to the next level, follow me on Instagram at CoachByKales for daily nuggets of health and fitness wisdom. We release new episodes weekly on Sundays, so be sure to click that subscribe button so you never miss an update. As always, lean into your strength, walk with confidence, and celebrate your nourishment. We'll catch you next Sunday on Rebel Wellness. If you are still listening, I just wanted to say, if you missed it in previous episodes, you have a great opportunity to get your major hormones tested right from home through the amazing women-owned company, yourhormonebalance.com. You can use code rebelwellness15 for 15% off your entire hormone package. So you can finally stop guessing what is going on in there. I was so grateful to confirm my adrenal fatigue suspicions through using your hormone balance that it helps me focus on intentional supplements to support my adrenals and focus a lot more on my stress management. It was a game changer. So use my code rebelwellness15 if you would like some serious money saving and probably have the easiest but most accurate testing option right at home about your hormones.